King of the Cast, the pro wrestling podcast for fans by fans. My name's Rick, and today joining me will be Jay Marshall, one of our King of the Cast panelists. We'll be discussing a variety of wrestling topics and see where these four questions take us. Be sure to be following us on Facebook and Twitter at King of the Cast. And if you'd like to send us a comment, a question, or if you'd like to be a guest on King of the Cast, send us a message on Facebook. For now, enjoy this episode of Four Questions with Jay Marshall. I'm ready. All right, Jay, thanks for being here and uh, doing this with me today. Always a pleasure to get together with some friends and talk a little bit of wrestling. Hopefully we can soon all be together and do the whole cast thing, but uh, for now this will have to do. The uh, first thing I've got to get to is a couple of corrections from our last episode. Now that episode had me and Jason Gary talking four questions and in there we talked about a few different things and we, uh, since this is kind of on the fly and uh, we didn't have the ability to, to fact check, uh, my good buddy Josh goes and fact checks after the fact and then tells me all the things that I got wrong or people got wrong on the podcast, give me the opportunity to correct it. So if you don't mind, Jay, I'm going to correct these uh, really quick. Is that good, good with you? That works for me, bud. All right. The first one has to do with the In Your House Beware of Dog from 1996. Now, the first thing I said is I couldn't remember if it was from Arkansas or South Carolina. And the reason for that is it's kind of weird, but I tend to remember things by colors. And because South Carolina and Arkansas both are maroon when it comes to their football teams, I sometimes get things mixed up when I talk about those. I know football and wrestling don't have anything to do with it, each other in this particular thing, but when I remember things, I generally remember them by the football team associated with that area, and then the color associated with that football team, and so sometimes I get Arkansas and South Carolina mixed up, but that was from South Carolina, and an interesting fact that I do know now from going back and looking at this is that is to this day the only pay-per-view filmed in the state of South Carolina for the WWE, so it's kind of a neat one. But uh, so In Your House, Beware of Dog, 1996, was in Florence, South Carolina. It did feature a match between Savio Vega and Steve Austin. And it was a big part of Steve Austin's career. I said something to the fact that it was like Steve Austin's first pay-per-view. It was not. It was not even close to Steve Austin's <laughs> first pay-per-view. Uh, he debuted at a Royal Rumble as uh, the uh, ringmaster in WWE. So this was not his first pay-per-view. But what's, it was a big part of the Stone Cold storyline. So while Jason and I were talking about how um, – Savio Vega, if that was the person, we were just joking that that was the person we decided to remove from the history of wrestling, that it would have a huge impact, negative impact on the Stone Cold Steve Austin character. And the reason for that is because in that match at Beware a Dog, the stipulation was if Savio Vega beat Stone Cold Steve Austin in a Caribbean strap match, that Ted DiBiase would leave the WWE. Now, obviously, that's just a stipulation in a match. And Steve and Teddy Biasi was leaving anyway, but at the time Ted was Steve's manager and Steve was wrestling as, um, as the, uh, why is his name disappeared from my head? Was he wrestling as? Is he still ringmaster? Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Jeez, man. Sometimes I just go blank. Uh, he was wrestling as the ringmaster. That is right, because he was introduced as from by Ted DiBiase as the ringmaster and given the million dollar belt. So, uh, he's still that character at the time, and Savio wins that match. It's a really cool match if you go back and watch it, and I, I kind of downplayed it a bit uh, in Savio's work a bit in the last um, 
podcast. Uh, it's just because I didn't care for the character all that much, but that match itself is actually rather entertaining. And uh, the interesting thing about that match is it was actually filmed twice. Uh, the night, the first night of that pay-per-view, when the lights go out, only the first two matches showed up on TV. So they went back and redid the pay-per-view a couple days later. And when they did it, the match actually gets longer. The first time the match was done, it lasted about 15 minutes. And the second time it was over 20 minutes. But in that Caribbean strap match, Savio does win. And because of that, Ted DiBiase leaves the WWE in the storyline, the storylines of things. Well, when Ted leaves the, the ringmaster character, um, Steve basically abandons that character and becomes Stone Cold Steve Austin. So you, you're already seeing a, a metamorphosis of him becoming much, you know, uh, a, you can kind of see some of that Steve Austin character already coming out. But the, the name change, all that stuff, has a, it's a big part of that feud with Savio Vega ending in the Caribbean strap match with Ted DiBiase's uh, stipulation of leaving the WWE. Stone Cold then goes out on his own as Stone Cold Steve Austin and the rest is major Stone Cold history. So that's a little bit clearer version than what I came up with out of my head. Uh, the first time. Uh, so that hopefully satisfies Josh and all the people out there who are, who are listening for in fact checking as, as I go along. But um, the next one had to do with um, Jason and I started talking about Steve Regal. Now, obviously, I usually call him Steve Regal people or Steven Regal. People call him William Regal. All the same character out there if you're, if you're wondering. But um, we were talking about him and I've always been a huge fan of his work. Um, and he comes up in you know different podcasts for different reasons when I'm talking because he's somebody I really respect his in-ring work and um, uh, his passion for the business. But um, Jason mentioned something about how when uh, Regal was brought into WCW to wrestle Goldberg during the streak, and it was the kind of rumor out there is that Regal sh did a shoot on Goldberg and actually wrestled him as opposed to just going out there and doing the non-WCW. So. Um, I didn't know if that was a fact or if that was something that kind of become part of wrestling lore. So I went back and listened to some different interviews and where I got my best information was from an interview actually between Stone Cold Steve Austin and uh, Steven Regal. And in that, uh, Steve asks him about that particular thing. And um, Regal says that while, yes, he does wrestle Goldberg, it was not a shoot, that they were told to wrestle a six-minute match. And... Regal carries Goldberg through a six minute match where because Goldberg had never done really done that. And he got lost at times and, and Regal, you know, tried to help him through it. It didn't come off great on TV and it didn't make Goldberg look as strong as he had. And when they got back to the back, it, um, you know, it, they got a talking to basically. And Bischoff was mad, you know, that it wasn't the standard Goldberg match and wanted someone to blame. And the booker who told him to wrestle a six minute match wouldn't own up to it. Um, but long story short, he wasn't fired. Regal wasn't fired right then. Uh, he wasn't fired for like four or five more months. And as Regal would say, it was for his, his own doing and uh, some of the mistakes he had made with alcohol and, and drugs and things like that, that led to him being fired. And maybe a little bit of that match in some people's minds, but that he was not fired like that night over that match. Um, and he, he, in fact, tells Austin, he's kind of sick of answering that question. And, but he also says, which I found really interesting in that interview, he says that 
people always ask if that if he was doing a shoot on Goldberg, like basically, you know, really laying in the punches and, and you know, trying to teach him a lesson from the wrestling business or wise him up to the wrestling business. And Regal's like, absolutely not. He was like, I was just coming off of my suspension. I'd been suspended for seven months. I was trying to get back in good with the company. I wasn't going out there to do anything I wasn't told to do. And um, he said, but the fact that people think those punches were harder than he punched anybody else or those, those holds were harder than he ever held somebody else is actually a testament to his good work. So, and I would agree with that. So there's a little clarification on those two things that we talked about in our last, uh, that Jason Gary and I talked about in our last podcast for those of you out there who are kind of fact checking for us. So there you go. And I'm sure that uh, in our conversation today, Jason, we will uh, come up with some ones that uh, I'll probably spout something off and you'll, you'll say something that uh, isn't quite right either. <laughs> and then somebody will come along and tell us that we were wrong. Oh, yes. You, you know we're going to make our mistakes here and there. <laughs> hey, that's, that's part of the fun of it. Um, so, but are you ready for four questions? I'm, I'm ready, Rick. You can shoot them at me anytime. All right, well, how this is going to work is I'm going to give you four questions and then you're going to give me four questions. And like I said, this is in the past episodes. There is no research on these. You don't know the four questions I'm going to ask. I don't know the four questions you're going to ask. And that leads to a great wrestling discussion. It also leads to clarifications in our next episode, as you just noticed uh, from this one. So here comes question number one. What are you watching right now in professional wrestling? Well, uh... One of the things that I've really, uh, that I've really gotten into um, was, uh, is actually uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Um, my, my son and I have really gotten into that. I heard a little bit about it from one of our other panelists, um, Greg Hereford, and uh, he brought it up at one of, the, uh, one of our podcasts uh, when we were all together, and I was just like, what is this? And so I started looking it up and uh, really gotten into Dark Side of the Ring, kind of showing some of the behind-the-scenes things that, happen uh in the makings of some of these storylines and some of the matches and and things like that so i've really gotten into into the dark side of the ring um what you know this season in, in particular i've really uh really gotten into they did a uh they did a two-part uh story on chris benoit uh you know and one of the things that they that they do say in that is how that his name has kind of been erased uh, from wrestling, you know, talking about, you know, erasing names from, from wrestling history, uh, his has kind of been that way. And uh, because of everything that went along with, with, with the way things happened. Um, but, there, but there's, you know, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's called Dark Side of the Ring. But I have to say there, uh, there are some good things that have been in it, um, you know, such as uh, the, the last ride uh, of the Road Warriors. Uh, um, it, there's some uh, good storytelling there about um, Hawk and Animal, uh, how they got their start, how they came together as a team, and they actually knew each other, you know, when they were when they were younger and, and everything, and uh, and how they were they were discovered separately, but then got put together when they when when they didn't re when they finally realized that hey, there's these two big guys that are you know similar build and you know can you know are are really you know are really these, you know, bad guys that can really beat up anybody. So that, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. And, you know, even, even in, in that one, um, they, they actually even address in there of how come when they went to, you know, from WCW and NWA, you know, known as the road warriors and they go to the WWF at the time and they're like, why, you know, why did you change your all's name from 
Road Warriors to Legion of Doom, you know, which, which most people know them as uh, nowadays. And one of the things that they talk about is the fact that um, Animal Talks, uh, uh, of course, at the time, WWF, uh, WWE had, uh, had the Ultimate Warrior. Um, they had just signed um, uh, Kerry Von Erich. Uh, and he, they'd given him like uh, a name of like the New Age Warrior or, so, or or something like that, and so they they were using Warrior in a lot of their in a lot of their talent at the time, and so Vince said, you know, come up with a different name. We we, we don't really want to be you know the Road Warriors, and they're like, but that's who we are. That's what everyone knows us as. And so finally, the animal just says, well, well, you know, why don't we just be called the Legion of Doom? And Vince just goes, love it go with that and, and that's how they kind of came up with it so it's, you know, it's, it's really cool showing some of the behind the behind the scenes thing um and one of the ones that uh i didn't really uh know much about was um uh they did one on um on the uwf i don't know if you rick if you remember the uwf uh when when it came about in the in the 90s but they is that like uh -huh. a promote? It's another promotion that was like supposed to compete with the WWE or WWF at the time. And then they go like get a bunch of older, like old WWF guys and put them together and try to make a promote. I can't, I, I, I really not place in exactly the UWF, but um, I, I do in my mind re remember the existence of the UWF. Yes. Uh, and and they, they talk a lot about that because it was actually a guy who had, who had a lot of money, was a big wrestling fan. And he actually um, started coming up with this idea that he wanted to come, come up with this new promotion to, to battle with the WWF at the time. And uh, he, he got in with some of the, um, you know, the, the weekend, you know, wrestling, um, you know, traveling shows you know the guys going signing autographs and things like that and actually got the backing of uh i believe it was bruno san martino at the time and got him to kind of come in with him and so the guy who would put on these these shows said well it must be legit you know let's get you get you in there and um uh, and he actually got started he, you know they had paul orndorff and, and 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 some of those like you said some of the aging guys from the wwf coming over there and uh and, and and at first, you know, everything was going pretty well. But then, uh, of course, money runs out and checks start bouncing. Um, one of the guys they had on there was uh, uh, you probably remember uh, B. Brian Blair from from the Killer Bees. He was one of the guys on the show that talks a lot about that. So, like you said, you know, a lot of the aging guys from WWF were going over there, thinking, "Oh, we're going to rejuvenate our careers. We're going to do something really good." And yeah, it ended up just falling on its face because the owner, uh, he wanted to be more on camera than, than the superstars and wanted to make it more about him than about the actual wrestling. And so, of course, it falls on its face, checks start bouncing, and you know, yeah, again, drug issues and things like that. That unfortunately is one of the darker sides of wrestling because of either, you know, either the schedule and they feel like they have to you know, either the cocaine to keep them going or the injuries and getting on pain meds to try to keep, so they don't have to, you know, set out because anytime you set out, you're missing paychecks and you're getting, you're not being noticed by fans and your, your character is basically dying. And so that, that's, you know, so that's one thing, the one thing that I've really gotten into is the, is the dark side of the ring and how that it's, it's showing the other side of wrestling there. 
I'm going to have to get into the dark side of the ring. I have not yet. And every, it's come up so, in so many conversations over the last um, two or three weeks with friends. I guess a lot of people are spending this time at home watching dark side of the ring episodes. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do the same in order to get caught up. I've been uh, doing uh, paying a little bit more attention to the last ride undertaker series uh, currently. Um, but uh, uh, sounds to me like dark side of the ring has a lot of the things that, I would really interest me about professional wrestling. You just mentioning the, the, the road warriors are mentioning um, you, uh, you know, that just immediately piques my interest interest. I was a big, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Benoit's work in the ring. Um, I always thought he, he put on a great match and I, you know, got to see him wrestle a few times live. And um, the fact he's been erased from professional wrestling is justified 100%. Um, but uh his in-ring work, uh, when you go back and watch it, is, um, you know, he, he, was a, he was a good in-ring worker, a great in-ring worker. And it's uh, just, it's so unfortunate he made such terrible decisions. Um, but, and, and like I said, and rightfully has been erased from, from history. Yeah, uh, and just one thing, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that you, that you bring up uh, Stephen Regal at the, at the beginning of this, uh, during uh, the Benoit uh, one of the parts on, on Benoit, they were talking about how that they, you know, that Monday night w after everything had happened, and they do the tribute show and they all have them record, you know, different messages and things like that. Um, Chris Jericho is doing the, a lot of the narrating on it, but he was actually doing a lot of talking. It was showing him talking and they called him and, and they said, they asked Chris Jericho, do you want to record a message? And he kind of said, no, I, 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 I I don't want to uh, at this time and stuff. I mean, he said that he was watching it that Monday night. And one of the things that was interesting that he was looking back on it is Stephen Regal's um, message and that he was talking about that he will remember him as, you know, a hard worker and things like that. And didn't really go into a lot of detail of where a lot of people were, you know, just so torn up and so, and Regal really wasn't and they said going back and looking at it come to find out Regal actually lived in the same town as Benoit and knew a lot of the behind the scenes stories that were going on between Benoit and of course woman his wife and knew some of the unfortunately the rumors of the abuse and things that were going on and so it, it, it's kind of interesting that you bring up Stephen Regal at the beginning of this and and, uh, and, and the Benoit and everything. I vividly remember that episode. Um, like I said, being a, a, a fan of Benoit's work in the ring. And then I remember sitting there in the night that it was announced and watching the different people. And I did notice as the night went on, you got less tributes to him as a human to more of tributes to him, his work in the ring. Yeah. And I, and you know, now in hindsight, obviously, you know what you know at the moment, I had no clue, but in, in hindsight, you know, you, Unfortunately, like so many, so many people, you, you never know uh, what's going on in their, their real lives. We only know their lives in the ring and the stories that are told to us in, in most cases. So uh, it yeah. certainly is one of the darker sides of the ring. And that will be a, an episode that I will certainly uh, check out um, very soon. But uh, okay, that takes yeah. us to question two, because my follow up question to that was going to be, uh, when you mentioned Dark Side of the Ring, I was I had a little follow-up I was writing down. That was going to be, well, what was your favorite episode? But then you started talking about your the ones you like. So I'm not going to uh, force you to pick a one now and talk about your favorite. We'll just uh, go with that. But I will move on to question number two. Um, this was going to be a little bit more about, like, uh, 
it's a little similar to what I ask uh, most people, but uh, change it up just a little bit for you. Do you remember what your first live show was? Like going, what, what live show was? I'll ask you some follow-ups to this if you can remember your first live show. Oh, wow. Uh, first live show. Man. You know, really, I... I I don't. Um, it, it, it's it's kind of odd because I've you know grown up you know doing backyard wrestling and and everything. And I remember I remember my brother and Greg always going to to shows when uh, you know when Memphis wrestling would come up here and things like that. But I never went to those. Uh, so really, honestly, my first live show would have been a WWE show. But I honestly I, I honestly don't remember it. Unfortunately. So <laughs> it's kind of odd because usually, usually that's something you would remember, but honestly, I don't. <laughs> that is that is interesting. I know that you and uh, your son, I know we've all gone together to, to wrestling in more recent history. Um, do you remember which one you took him to first? Oh, he's, he's actually right here with me. So our, our first one, uh, was it a, a Raw or was it a or – was, or was it just a, a house show? Just a house show on on Saturdays, and uh, I, I believe it was a house show on, on, a, on like a Saturday night. Um, I remember Kane being there um, because I, 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 that may have been he, he may have been headlining, uh, may have been uh, the main event that night. I think. Um, and so it, it, it was. Uh, I, I remember Kane being there. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh. Um, well, I, re I remember taking some photos um, at the time. Uh, Finn Balor was getting a huge push, and because uh, Michael, my my son, was a huge Finn Finn Balor fan, and um, he didn't come out as demon, but uh, came out. And I remember him, you know, going up to the to the top rope the way he does, and the and the lights, you know, flashing and everything. And I'm I'm taking pictures, trying to get as much of that uh, as possible, and. Uh, and so that, that I believe that, that that was probably the the first show that I took him to. I tell you, when we all go, that's always a big time for me. Like I was, I really really enjoyed that when we we've all gone together, um, and you know your dad being there in the in the past was always awesome to me that uh, he would he'd come along with us, and it always meant so much for for all of you know all the marshals and me <laughs> <laughs> being there. No. And that's what we love. You know, we, we all become extended family at that time. We all just sit there and enjoy it and, and know that it's, it's, it's going to be a great show no matter what. And, you know, even on some of the, some of the people that we, that we may not want to see or, or something like that, it's just, it's still, we, we can sit there and have conversations while it's going on and stuff. And it's, it, it always, it's always just a, a, a great time. It is. And I, I'm glad it's something that, uh, you know, like I said, that we've got to go to together in the past and, and, and got to share. Live events are so much fun. One thing just come out of this cast, uh, talking with some of these guys who are into more independent wrestling and, and watching some of that is, I, I probably should take advantage of some of that that's around here. There, you know, we do have a lot of independent wrestling shows in our area, and I haven't really taken advantage of that over the years. I was lucky enough to be at the Pillman show, like I said in, in um, the episode with Aaron, but I... Uh, you know, I, there is a lot of up and coming guys, young guys uh, that come out of this area and, um, you know, probably should, that might be fun for all of us to maybe try to go to one of those one time and see, see how that, what that's like. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, and, you know, as we've talked, you know, when we, when we've, when we've had our, our, you know, when we've had our talks, you know, before our, our, our other podcasts, when we've all been together, you know, we've talked about, you know, different guys that, you know, that my brother and Greg and myself have grown up with that, uh, that, you know, that their dads were, were, were in the wrestling business and then they've kind of, you know, they kind of were in it for a little bit themselves on those independent circuits and everything. So yeah, it, 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 that's something that, that we all need to take more advantage of. All right. That gets us to question number three. This one was a little more challenging. Might take a little more thought uh, process. Uh, this is, I got this. Jason Gary got me on a lot of, he kept asking me like, what's your least favorite this? And what's your least favorite? And that, that would throw me for a loop. I was, I'm, I told him I was, I'd like to remember my more positive things, but so I'm not gonna do that to you, but I'll give you the option. All right. Okay. You can okay. either tell me what you think your favorite, or you can do both if you want, I don't care. You're the best finisher when you think of finisher, finishing moves in wrestling or worst or both, whatever you want to do. Oh, oh, wow. Um, well, <laughs> well, I could, um, wow. Uh, I, 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 well, I can hit both of them, you know, very, very easily. Um, of course, when you start saying best finisher, first one that comes to mind is probably one of my, you know, probably one of my favorite wrestlers of all time and a lot of people's favorites. And that is none other than Ric Flair, the figure four leg lock. Yeah, throw on a little figure four, and it's especially if you're in the middle of the ring, it's over. And and believe me, you can ask my brother if you actually put one on for real, you can snap a leg. I did not break his leg, but <laughs> we used to put those moves on each other. And yes, you can you can pin that that shin over top of that other one, and yeah, it, it can hurt a little bit. <laughs> but uh, but no, the, the the figure four because there's so many things that can still go on uh, while that's while that's locked in, you know, if, if you turn it over and reverse the pressure on it, you know, and, you know, or if the guy's strong enough to drag you over to the rip, to the ropes, to break it, it, it it's, it's a, it, it's, it's a great finisher that can also continue for so long, you know, and, and really allows the, the match to still progress and, and still kind of, you know, yeah, give the wrestler a little break, you know, if, if they've been having, you know, a, you know, it, uh, you know, Flair was known for his long, grueling matches, you know, and, and rightfully so, because he was more of the technical wrestler. You know, a lot of people will say Hogan brought wrestling mainstream, but even Hogan even says that Flair, Flair was always better because the fact that he could go to 60 minute matches and Hogan couldn't, uh, you know, but, you know, but that, but that was part of it, you know, with that figure four leg lock, if he locked it in properly, he could, you know, the match could be over quick, or if it needed to drag out a little bit, they could struggle a little bit, you know, reversed a couple of times and just kind of flip and flop through, you know, the ring and stuff like that. And, you know, even, even the variation that Charlotte uses today, you know, by even putting the bridge into it really, really keeps it fresh and still keeps it as a great finisher, even, even to this day. And, and that's what I really love about the, about the figure four leg block. Um, weakest, I've I've got to go to Hogan the leg drop that has got to be the absolute worst finisher in wrestling history. I mean, a, a simple little I mean, you know, a body slam, a, a, a back up off the rope, and a and a leg drop. I mean, come on, 
that that doesn't even knock a guy out because it doesn't even hit the head. It hits the chest. Come on. You know, what's it going to do? Knock my breath out for three seconds? No, come on. <laughs> That's why that has got to be the weakest finisher in, in history. And, and for it to be on a guy that was so iconic, you know, yes, he had the largest pythons in the world and, you know, and, and everything, but he used a leg drop. Why not use something with your arms, you know? <laughs> even, even a clothesline or a sleeper hold that could, you know, since your, your pythons were so hard, you're, you're so big, you know, you can get a little extra pressure on it. But no, you used a leg drop. Come on. So that, that, that's, that's why, you know, that's got to be the weakest. Now, I will also throw in a little, little, little extra nugget in there, too, that I do have to say, um, if you go for tag teams, uh, Doomsday Device for the, for the uh, for Legion of Doom Road Warriors, by far, you know, getting them up on the shoulders, coming off uh, off the top rope, and I mean, hitting it so hard that the guys would flip. Yeah, that 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 one that one's also got to rank up there too. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd agree with both of those. Um, the interesting thing about about Hogan though is at that time, finishers, every match didn't finish with a finisher. Right. You know, now today matches are much more formulaic, especially the ones that we see on TV. They generally end with a finisher, or unfortunately, the more current wrestling, it's like kicking out of this finisher over and over and over. And okay, m- m- multiple finishers, you know, <laughs> how many F5s can someone take? <laughs> yeah, or, or you know, whatever the, it is, depending if it's a main event, you can kick out of finishers, and if it's not a main event, you can't. I, I don't know, but um, the way the way the, the matches are done nowadays, but if you go back and watch those, those you know, Hogan days, he might he didn't always win with the leg drop. I mean, he. He might win with something else as well, but I do agree that to finish off Andre the Giant with a body slam and a leg drop is is you know that he couldn't kick out of that. But but you know obviously that's a different different time in, in wrestling history. Right, and, and with the shape Andre he was in, uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know that might have been all he could have taken. <laughs> now when it comes to the figure four, I agree. I I, I think figure four is a is a great uh, finish. I even agree with your. Uh, Charlotte's, you know, version there. She, I think she calls it the figure eight, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but is, is an excellent, you know, uh, tribute to that. Uh, one of the coolest figure fours I ever got to see live, though, is I, guess I saw Jerry Lawler wrestle um, Bret Hart at Rupp. And Jerry would put you in a figure four around the ring post. Yes. And he would you know, lay backwards off, you know, off the ring post and uh, had, held Bret in that. And it was the main event of that house show. And, um, you know, and Lawler was a big name around here for so many years. And, uh, so that was, you know, uh, you know, he, oh, yeah, didn't uh, bi- he didn't bill himself from Lexington that night, but he, you know, certainly talked about how he had held the championship and, and, you know, as a champion and, and wrestled in Lexington and things. And so he, that he wrestled Bret Hart that, that night and uh, put him in a figure four around the ring post. And that was always a cool rendition or version of the figure four that I always like, but you are right. My friend, Jason Crisp once asked me, he said, have you ever been put in the figure four? And I was like, well, you know, you know, we used to do the trampoline wrestling and stuff. We'd put each other in figure four. And he was like, no, have you actually ever been put in it? How it's intended to be done. And I was like, well, I don't know. Have I? I, I probably not then I guess. So he was like, all right, come here. And he, he put me in the actual figure four. And I thought my shin bone was going to come out the front of my leg. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're, ta- you're literally tapping out in like eighths of a second. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. So the but, fact they can put it in a way that it doesn't do that, but still looks like the correct way 
uh, we must have figured it out as kids or we just did it wrong. You know, <laughs> but, uh, he, oh my gosh, it would hurt so bad. I, I'll tell you, tell you a quick little story, Rick. You know, Kevin and I both both grew up, you know, backyard wrestling. We we were a tag team, but at home, you know, in the basement, you know, mom mom and dad upstairs and stuff like that. We'd be alone. We would be wrestling all the time, and so yeah, I, I, we we do little things like, hey, let's 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 try this. And so I I I, I tried one. I was like, let me try and put you in a few for. I put it in. I put put it on. I'm like, no, I can't be right. And I started I started thinking. I'm like, oh, it's got to be this way. And I got it to where his leg came up his straight leg came up over my thigh and I had mine locked under his and I could have snapped his, his shin right over top of, of his thigh with, with the pressure of both of mine coming down on there. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, I could really hurt him. <laughs> yeah. Those guys, I mean, we understood it was a finisher and that it ended the match and it must've really hurt, but it's like, then they got up, you know, minutes later and, and moved on. I didn't, I thought, I thought if you leave this on here more than about an eighth of a second, I don't know if I'm going to walk away. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it was always one that. Uh, now, uh, I did one thing that would kind of drive me crazy was the, the the reversing of the pressure. I always have called things, and a friend of mine, Charlie Kahn, likes to say this too: the, the physics of wrestling. And there are certain <laughs> there are certain things that break the laws of physics in the world of wrestling. And uh, I won't get too much into all of those, but uh, that's always been one to me, like. Uh, yeah. really? Does that really reverse the pressure if you flip over? I, I don't know if it's exactly the same or not, but yeah, I, 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 I don't really think so. I, th I, th I think we 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 may have done, did a match in the backyard wrestling with, where someone reversed and is like, yeah, no, it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> not quite have the same effect. All right, that gets us to question number four. All right. Okay. And it's interesting how this always kind of one leads to the next and, you know, without knowing what's going to happen. But my next question has to do kind of with Ric Flair, although in this question, you can't answer Ric Flair. So okay. <laughs> it kind of goes along the lines of the questions where we've done things like if this, you, know, you can't answer this person, if this person didn't exist, uh, you know, or whatever. So in this scenario, you can't answer Ric Flair. And the question is, who is the greatest horseman? Oh wow, the greatest horse. Who? Um, hmm. This is obviously your opinion, so you can't get it wrong. right. Yes. Um, wow. Of course, you know I, I I go to the original to the original four of uh, you know of course of Rick, uh, Arn, Oli, and Tully. The, the you know, I, I I I go right to them. Yes, there were there were others that came along, and they they were great too, and, and everything. Um, and each one of them were, were were great for so for so many reasons. Uh, even behind the scene things like with you know, Oli was also a booker, and actually discovered quite a bit of talent uh, and things. So you know, he he was really great. Arn being the enforcer, um, you know, being a tag team guy and everything. But honestly, I'd probably say. Uh, outside, out, outside of uh, of Rick, uh, um, I have to go with Tully. Uh, I would really say Tully Blanchard was uh, was probably the greatest outside, just because he did it both singles and tag team. He held the uh, the WCW NWA television title for so long when they when they first came came about because. Ole and Arn were, were the tag team champions. Of course, Flair was the world champion. And so Tully Blanchard had the television title. 
and he would always fight, you know, and, you know, with the television title, every time they were on TV, there was a television title match. So he was also having to do more matches and things. So uh, that, and then when Ole uh, retired, he went right into, into, you know, Ole's role and tagged up with Arn, and of course they of course went on over to WWE, WWF as the Brain Busters, and they had the world tag t- titles over there, and, and things, and uh, and so you know just, just his his versatility, um, yeah, I, I, I really I, I, I really say Tully was probably the best outside of Rick. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I didn't. You can't ask who's the greatest four horsemen. That's just oh, a silly question. But when you when you think about the horsemen. Um, I obviously the four you mentioned are exactly who I think immediately. Um, right. But you know, it, now if somebody asked me who the worst horseman was, I would say Mongo McMichael. Um, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's you know not really the same question. But um, uh, that's a totally different version of the four horsemen. Uh, but but still, uh, the four horsemen when it comes to me, I always that's a group of people the four you mentioned are the, the four I immediately think of. And yes, yeah, certainly other people came and, and went and, um, you know, the great storylines with Sting and, and others along the way, um, you know, and even storylines with Luger along the way and the four horsemen. But um, that's exactly who I think of too. And, and while Arn, I always enjoy Arn's work in the ring. I thought he was a, a extremely hard worker and he, he, he lost so many, always took the fall. He did. He did. <laughs> you know, if, if, if the horse, but the horsemen were losing, Arn was getting pinned. And to me, you know, understanding the business now as, as, you know, as an adult, I guess. And, and as a kid, as a kid, it would always frustrate me because I would say, you know, he's the enforcer. He's so strong. How does he, how does he always take the fall? But now going back and understanding that somebody has to get pinned. Yep. And you know, and it's, it's somebody had, if you can do that, if you can go out there and you can get beat, but I still, as the fan am watching and thinking you're so strong and you're the enforcer, how's this happening? Then you're doing your job correctly. <laughs> um, so I've always, I, I would have probably chosen Arn, but, uh, but when you say going with Tully is certainly a strong argument for him being a, just a, a tremendous part of the four horsemen along the way. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted, to th- I wanted to throw a little curve in there, you know, just uh, kind yeah. of give only a few props. <laughs> well, definitely. And I think he deserves it. I think uh, um, certainly, um, you know, a, a tremendous in-ring performer and storyteller. And so many of those guys could have just been completely overshadowed by Flair. Um, and that's a testament to Flair in some ways that uh, to run with a group of four and be as, as, um, you know, all the eyes on him, but those guys still, like you said, being, you know, being champions and, and being a huge part of every show and in the main event many times as well. So, um, horsemen are always going to be one of the top groups for me. And uh, I think for most fans our age, they'll probably say the same. I can't, I don't know anybody who's like, you know what? I just, I guess there are probably people out there that I can't stand the horsemen because, you know, they might've just been again, like, <laughs> like, I don't know. But I, I doesn't, it wouldn't make any sense to me. Right, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your uh, least favorite group of four people who bragged about themselves all the time? I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a question that could happen. I don't know, I just, to make somebody uh, answer it that way. Wait, 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 get, get back to all the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ask Jason Gary that one. I, remember, I, I, 
I, I remember hearing that on takes and I'm like, oh, it was an interesting take. <laughs> it was, but he challenged me, man. I was blank half the time. I was like, oh, let me just think of something. Uh, when, uh, if I ever get the chance to redo some of those questions, uh, I'll probably have completely different answers once I've thought about some things. But man, he put me on the spot. He did a great job. All right, well, you did a great job with your questions. Uh, thank you, thank you, Jay, for, uh, for sharing your thoughts on those and um, giving us your take on the four questions that came up for you. And now is your chance to see what, uh, what mistakes I can make answering questions for you that I get to. <laughs> so so uh, shoot, let's see what happens here. Oh, uh, well, you know, uh, actually a, a lot of mine are our opinions. So Whew. I don't, don't want to get into, <laughs> in, in, into a lot of trouble, but you know, I just want to, you know, just kind of, kind of pick your brain. What, one of the things, you know, with during, during this whole, uh, this whole pandemic and everything, uh, you know, just started looking around. One thing that I like to do sometimes is I just like to bring up images of uh, old championship belts. You know, just to look to see how they've evolved and, and everything like that. So uh, just, you know, in your opinion, you know, what is your favorite design of belt or your top, you know, three or five, you know, that, that, that you that you like, the, you know, throughout either, you know, present or history or you know, what are your favorite designs of belts, of championship belts? Now, this is one you could ask me least because I know that one immediately. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's the spinner belt. I could not stand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the spinner belt. And that's not a knock on John Cena. I know the, the whole concept that it was going on and things like that at the time, but um, that one I, I could never get behind. But uh, I won't waste my time on the least since you asked me for my favorite. And I know my favorite immediately too. And that's that world heavyweight title that um, Flair toted around. The, the giant gold face title. Man, I wish I knew the exact name of it. And you probably do. Big gold. Big gold. There we go. That's, that's, that's the belt that immediately comes to mind when somebody says you're the heavyweight champion i'm expecting them to be holding that belt still to this day yeah that's that's what i think of as the the heavyweight championship belt and i probably always will um i love the size of it it was you know it was at the big wide plate um on the front so many championship belts before that were much smaller um and you know it just it had a presence to it um Maybe because Flair's toting it around. Uh, hold on a second. I, there we go. My computer was doing something weird there. Um, maybe because, you know, maybe that's why I associate it uh, you know, on Flair's shoulders. Um, but uh, I don't know. Um, that's immediately what comes to mind. I, I don't care for the current tag belts all that much. Um, I don't care in WWE. I don't care for the, um, they just don't, the Spartan helmet type, you know, facing against each other and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not either. I just, I'm not a big fan of that belt right now. Um, but I do tell you a belt that I always, I always liked um, was the, the white intercontinental belt. Um, I, I was never a huge fan of the actual of the white leather. I loved the, the design of the plates and the way that it popped. Uh, I liked it better with the black leather when it first came out. But but yeah, I, I, I can I can definitely see that. I always thought, you know, and I've talked out of both sides of my mouth when it comes to the Ultimate Warrior because I have a kind of a, a love hate uh, relationship with his uh, his ring work, and that's because as a kid I thought he was amazing, and then I go back and look at it as an adult, and I just see that it, you know, it, it just wasn't uh, in comparison to so many. But when he had that belt, um, 
the that title was legit. You know what I no. mean? Like, uh, uh, and so that's another one that you know pops in my head. When I think, wow, that's a championship belt. Like that was, you know, sitting, you know, like hanging on a wall somewhere. So I would want my picture with it, kind of a thing. Yeah. So uh, those are the two I would say. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I, I look back at you know. Uh, I looked up, looked up one, and it had uh, like one of the former WWE writers. He had his rankings of his top tens and stuff like that. And and, and really, honestly, it had, had had some had kind of an obscure one. Had the uh, actually had the old uh, Southern Heavyweight Championship that Lawler had for a long time with you know with with Memphis and, and things like that. He actually had had that design on there and stuff. Uh, one that wasn't on there that that a lot of people I think overlook is the old U.S. Uh, heavyweight Champion championship belt back with the old WCW and NWA uh, that uh, a lot of times Nikita Koloff or Lex Luger had. Um, I always remember seeing that, you know, it kind of had the big eagle up the top and over on the side plates, it was round and had the, you know, U.S. stripes and, and a star on it and stuff like that. You know, just different things like that. And I, I just sometimes get nostalgic and just look at, look at old, old images of them and things. Yeah, they don't have the same right now, currently, especially in WWE, they just don't have that same, they're, they're so similar from one brand to the next, the tag titles. And I get that it's branding. Uh, but um, I just always felt like uh, some of the ones along the way seem much more like a trophy one would carry around um, oh. than others. But I get the branding nowadays. And um, I do like that they do the special nameplates for the different wrestlers. I, you know, I even noticed on, um, on Raw last night, uh, Nikki Cross and um, Alexa Bliss, that their belts have a nameplate for each of them on both of their belts. So it has their, the, the tag belt, the, you know, the, name, the tag plate in the center, then on one side has a Nikki Cross plate and on the other Alexa Bliss plate. So uh, I guess they, you know, obviously they interchange that depending on who was, the, who was the title holder, but that's really a cool concept for the tag belts that I had not noticed until last night to have nameplates for each of them on either side so i thought that was pretty cool yeah oh yeah that's 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 always that's all that's always neat to see to see the, the little differences that they can still do with them yeah well um okay well moving on from from belts to um to to matches um you know what what is your uh what would you say is one and i don't know if you've been asked this before what is your favorite type of match you know is it one from you know that they need to bring back or something like that—a leather strap match. A, you know the. You know what? What is it? What? What? What type of match would you love to see? I have not been asked that, so that's a, that's a good one. Um, and that's a tough one. Uh, I do not care for the strap matches. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the legitimate rules of having to touch all four corners and all that stuff, and and, and things like that, some of them would get kind of interesting, but they always kind of followed a very similar formula. Um, and that one with Savio Vega and Stone Cold, it followed that formula where they, you know, you're, you're, you're attached to the strap and one guy's tagging all three, but he doesn't realize the other guy's right behind him tagging the ones right behind. And then where the last second switches it and then hits the last one for the win. That's how Savio beat, uh, Stone Cold or, or, uh, the, you know, the Austin yeah. in that, in that particular match. Uh, so many strap matches are like that. So that's probably not one of my favorite, but, um, but I think of matches that I, I truly enjoy, and, and um, I do like, you know, some of the gimmick stuff. I, I do enjoy a really solid cage match if it's done correctly, you know, I, you know, 
the, the Hell in the Cell, which technically wasn't a Hell, in, I guess it was a Hell in the Cell match, but it wasn't at a Hell in the Cell pay-per-view, but the one between Mankind and Undertaker that you immediately think of. Um, I, you know, when I saw that live, I, you know, I wasn't there, but I saw it live on pay-per-view. Me and my friend Adam watched that, and that match was just tremendous. The use of the the cage itself, and obviously those stuff with Mankind and um, going through the table and stuff. That it was entertaining um, for sure, and had me at the edge of my seat. So I, I do enjoy a good gimmick match like that, a scaffold match or a, or a cage match or something. Uh, it's done well. I, I don't enjoy, you know in some cases it just gets too much. Uh, I got, I was at a, I think it was uncensored. Um, this is where I'll get messed up and, and Josh will have to fix my, my, me not remembering things correctly. But, um, I think it was, I think uh, it was Adam and I, and we were at uncensored. It was in Louisville, um, at, uh, I, Yum wasn't around yet. So it had to be in at, um, Freedom Hall. And the final match was Flair and Hogan in a cage and you would think, Oh my gosh, you know, as, as a big flair fan and you're going to get flair and Hogan in a cage at a pay-per-view, this is going to be the greatest match ever. And while they, they tried and flair bled, of course, you know, his face raked across the, the, the cage and stuff. It just was not, it was hardly watchable. Um, oh. The match itself. Uh, now some of that probably was because I had floor seats and was about 10 rows back and I'm only five foot eight. Uh, <laughs> So it was barely seeable uh, <laughs> for me, um, but uh, but it just wasn't. I don't know. I was ex maybe it's because I was expecting such an amazing match, and so I wouldn't say every cage match is my favorite. But um, to be honest with you, what I look forward to the most on a Raw or on a pay per view is a really solid tag match where there is really good chemistry between all the, you know, both teams involved where you have a lot of isolation on one side of the ring, uh, like you got classic tag type styles of wrestling where you have, um, you know, saves people coming in and saving their, uh, their tag team partner, uh, distracting the referee, getting the referee's back turn, all that psychology that goes into a really good tag match is probably something that, you know, that I, not probably something, I know it's something, it's something I really look forward to, every time there's a tag match. And so when it doesn't happen, I can be, I can be pretty uh, um, critical of it, but when it does, I, I appreciate it a ton. And um, yeah, you know, I just mentioned, you know, the, the women's tag team match uh, from last night, but um, you know, I, I've enjoyed, you know, the, the women having tag team matches lately and, and Bliss and Cross do a really good job of that. They, they play off each other's strengths. They, they um, you know, they save each other, in the ring and, and, it, and it feels, you know, very fluid in the match. Um, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's good tag team wrestling. So, um, you know, I give them a lot of credit and the match last night, I do that in front of a no crowd. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's gotta be so tough. And they, 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 you know, put on an entertaining match last night that I actually enjoy. I think they beat the Iconics returning, you know, the Iconics returned last week. And, uh, if I'm, you know, remembering, I know it was just yesterday, but <laughs> I, 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 I sometimes just still don't remember things exactly correctly, but man, um, you know, while I don't, I do not care for the Iconics and their work. I, I, I do, um, I do like a good tag match for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I, I you know, that, that's just, you know, just one of those things that, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, being nostalgic, you know, kind of seeing, you know, kind of what, what, what does everybody like, like, like to look for, you know, in, in a good match and everything. And like you said, you know, a good, good tag team match, you know, like you said, with the isolations and everything, you know, uh, you know, stretching over and trying to get that, get that tag and get on back, back to your half of the ring. Yeah. That, that, that's always a, a, a great match that, that can be really worked really well. Okay. Um, well, uh, interesting that you earlier that you, you brought up, uh, the four horsemen and uh, and everything. I kind of want to go uh, along similar along that line. I'm going to kind of do do like you did with uh, without being able to answer the four horsemen. Um, what is what is your favorite either faction or stable in uh, you know either present or past uh, uh, in in wrestling? That's a tough one. <laughs> I'm gonna make you work for it. <laughs> yeah, because those are those are always difficult for me because stables come and go nowadays so quickly. Uh, yes. they're even hard to keep up with. Um, in most recent history, um, you know, you had, like the Wyatt family, I thought was a, a tremendous idea, and and probably in in my opinion, it'd be between currently the Wyatt uh, in WWE, the Wyatt family, and um, the Shield would just be two, two great factions that they came up with in, in more recent history that I truly enjoyed. I felt like both of those could have gone on for years, similar to how the Horsemen did in the past, but storylines move so much quicker nowadays. Um, and I kind of feel like, unfortunately, the writers go to the quick turn a lot faster. Um, I don't know if that's because they, they're trying to get, um, you know, they try to take advantage of, of the opportunity. But sometimes I feel it's just a little lazy because you could, you know, you got these guys and if they're willing to be there, you're getting them all TV time, you know, as a group instead of just individuals and the, and you, and the same amount of time on TV to send out all three of the shield as it would be to be send one of them. So in the same amount of time, you can get multiple guys on camera. And I think that's kind of what the four horsemen did back in the day. You're talking about, you go to the back, you go to the back and you have a interview and all four are there. You don't have to do one with each of them. You do four of them. Everybody, be, you know, believes what, what's going on there and, and, and you get the story moving. Um, and like I said, a relatively small amount of TV time and a time in wrestling when you have so many people on a roster and you're trying to get so many people on, I feel like the factions should last longer in order for that to happen. I mean, you look at what they did with the women's factions and they brought them in during the revolution and they had, you know, these, these three stables or however many it was, I, I'm not going to try to remember it all, but, um, and they just so quickly got through that storyline and to get out of it, almost got into it fast enough as I could get out. And uh, I don't understand that in, in the world of groups. So it's harder in today's world. I think the Wyatt's another, another big part of that. Um, I've listened to some of Brody Lee's stuff and he talks about how, because he's from New York and has that strong New York accent, that he um, um, couldn't do like a New Orleans style thing like Bray was doing, so he couldn't talk. And that's, that would frustrate, you know, the bookers and Vince and stuff in the storylines. And that really bothers me because he didn't need to talk. His in-ring work is, is, speaks for him. And, you know, take advantage of that in-ring work. You don't have to, to be the talker. Do it like the old days. Like, let Flair be the talker and let Arn and Tully and them be the, be the muscle. Same thing with the, with the Wyatts. And it could, go, it could have gone on for so much longer. And Bray's work is tremendous now as, you know, as the Fiend and stuff and, uh, and the Firefly Funhouse and stuff. But man, I thought his work as the, as the leader of the, of the Wyatts was just stellar. And yeah. it could have gone on forever. 
Um, I wish I was a bigger AEW watcher. Um, I started picking up on it some, but they have some really cool factions um, mm. as well uh, going on with the Dark Order and, and things like that. That um, you know, and Jericho's group, or is that the Dark Order? I get them confused. Yep. Jericho's the uh, Inner Circle. They're Inner Circle, and then they're going against the Dark. But yeah, and they got some really neat factions, and they may be doing a little bit better. Um, when it comes to keeping those people together for longer periods of time and going running the storylines a little bit longer, I'd like to see that. Um, yeah. for the, sure. AEW, they've also got the, the elite, which is uh, Omega and Rhodes and the, the Bucks, Young Bucks and, and stuff. So they're, they're kind of their faction. So it, 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 it is really cool how they're, how they're kind of using them. But other than the horsemen, I, I, number one all time, I mean, Heenan family probably. Oh, okay. I yep. mean, that's you. You can't. Heenan could get anybody over, um, and you believed it. It's it's a little like Heyman's character now, um, but he's you know had his failures. I guess there's probably some Heenan failures out there too, but um, oh. within the Heenan family. But I I believed back then that Bobby Heenan was the you know that he was leading this and that he would go out and get these guys and and find yeah. them to fight these other people, and I just believed it. You're like a hundred percent that this was really, I hated him. I couldn't, oh. <laughs> I couldn't stand him. And, uh, you know, as a kid, because I thought, how, you know, why do these guys keep joining him? You know, I was, <laughs> but you know, it was just so well done. And, what? uh, it, it goes back to like you were saying airtime, you know, you knew that Heenan was going to talk. He had the whole family there with him, you know, and if, if you want to be on air, you better join one. <laughs> yeah. And that's believable. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, to me, that was one that just stuck, sticks out in my head is one that's just, uh, like I said, take, take guys that, you know, you're trying to get guys over, you're trying to get guys TV time. And if you're going to have to stand next to somebody and not say anything, stand next to Ric Flair, stand next to Bobby Heenan. You know what I mean? Yes. That, mm-hmm. that, that's a, certainly a, a smart way to get over. Well, well, and, and, you know, and like you were talking about, you know, with, with the airtime and everything, you know, I remember, you know, you know, with the, with the horsemen, you know, a lot of times, even, you know, if, if, uh, Arn and Ole were fighting a tag match, you know, uh, Flair's still over there with, with Tony Schiavone and they're, they're still carrying on an interview and, uh, while the match is going on and, you know, uh, they can do the same thing. You know, I remember, you know, Bray would sometimes sit in up, up, up at the commentator's table, uh, you know, while, while uh, Rowan and Harper were, were fighting or something like that. You know, it's, it's a great way to get an interview in, too. You know, flip time. Uh, Jason, Gary, and I were kind of talking about this the other day a little bit, just on a side note about different groups together and stuff, and we got to talking. And, you know, he's a he's, you know, big WWF fan, and he talked about, you know, is where does DX rank in that, um, in that group? And, you know, you could even talk about evolution, too, as, as well. But... Um, uh, one we talked about that uh, we felt was really whether somebody dropped the ball a lot was legacy. Um, I don't know if oh, I remember that that group uh, with, with Orton and uh, and them. Uh, shoot, who wasn't it? Wasn't it Orton and Teddy Hart? Yes. And um, who was the other one? It'd come to me in a minute, but um, I felt like that was something that could have run for mm-hmm. long for a long period of time. Uh, I feel like you could even, you could have made one, you could make one right now uh, as, you know, third generation wrestlers um, and get, oh. and get guys over. I don't understand why they just uh, abandoned it so quickly. Uh, uh, it wasn't Hennig's kid, was it? 
Oh, uh, Axel, Curtis Axel. I don't think it was him, though. Uh, legacy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I, I remember Orton in it. Uh, was Cody in it? Yeah, that's who it was. It's Cody Rhodes. Yeah. Man. Okay. Okay. So it was Orton Rhodes and um and Teddy Hart. I think so. It, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was a younger Cody coming up. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Michael. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, you know, that to me that could have gone on for a long, long time, and I don't know why it didn't. I, I feel like you know, like you look like a DX. They were, they got to go on for so long oh, yes. and stay together. You know, you know, you can go way back to your, you know, origin of. Um, Triple H and Shawn Michaels and Rick Rude, all the way to where you're still running DX stuff with X Pac and the um, New Age Outlaws and China and stuff like that, without even the original members around. And people are still there's still a big pop when the when the when the music plays and people are still you know buying the DX merchandise, um, running under that name. And so I feel like that was a faction that was solid, in um, you know in that aggression era. I would like really more the um, Attitude era, um, you you get those little those little heartbeats of the of the DX hit and that dump dump and everyone they know it's it's coming. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and, and like I said, you got you bring China in under that, and as you know, I guess she was really as Triple H's bodyguard when he was Hunter Hearst Helmsley. But you know, right. you bring her in as well, and um, you know, it was a big part of DX and all the, all their antics and. Um, you know, later on bringing in the, the others, it just, you know, it worked, it worked so well. So that's a great, uh, you know, a great group. They're not, they were never, you know, my favorites by any means. I was much more of a stone cold rock, um, fan at that time. Uh, but DX certainly, well, you know, was a big part of that time. And, and that, you know, that group, you know, you have to say, I know we've gone on a while, but this is a fun question though, man. I really appreciate it. But you know, when it comes to the rock, you have to mention the nation of domination. Um, uh, I was about to say, you, you gotta look. Yeah, I, I remember the nation, and it was it was one of those things that you know, for them to stand in the ring, all all four of them lift their fists. It was just like, oh wow, it was. Uh, it, it was powerful. It was, and that same uh, that same um, show where uh, uh, where um, Jerry Lawler and um, Bret Hart wrestled, that was right in the same time that the the rock was in the nation and they all were there all all four of the nation were there and um you know uh rocky wrestled too in uh that night but um you know you had you know kama mustafa and uh, d'lo brown and and the rock and um ron simmons, uh, ron simmons or farouk as Farouk. as he's called at that time um and it was just uh you know i can remember people chanting papa shango at uh, kama mustafa that uh -huh. night and I thought, you know, really? I mean, <laughs> but, you know, people can't, you know, it, he wasn't really Papa Shango, guys. You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's not his real name either. Oh, um, but, uh, Godfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, man, talk about a guy who can get characters over. I thought he, he was tremendous. <laughs> but, um, but uh, that, you know, I, the nation, I was always a big D'Lo Brown fan. Oh yeah, and his work, and uh, you know, um, I know. Unfortunately, you know, he, he 
the stuff with, you know, he was the, unfortunately in the ring with draws when he got injured and, and stuff. And, but, you know, Delo's work I always thought was really, was really good. And I was, his, his, uh, Jason asked me a question in last um, episode about uh, music. And Delo, Delo Brown's music was awesome. Now I had nothing to do with the nation, but <laughs> I was after the nation, but his music was awesome. I, when he, uh, when his music came on, I was, it was, it got you pumped. So, uh, the nation, the nation led to some, you know, it gave Farouk or Ron Simmons uh, mm. a, a, a great position, you know, place to be at the time. It got Rocky out of the Rocky Maivia thing and into the Rock. It got, uh, you know, Kamal Mustafa out of uh, Papa Shango and into that, uh, which you got to showcase, you know, him a little bit differently, which more than likely led to the Godfather, you know, and then got, you know, D'Lo Brown's there and gets him, you know, he goes on to to, to great tag team stuff. So. Another great faction that got, uh, you know, all guys benefited from being in for sure. Um, you know, of course, you know, Fruit goes on to the APA and after that. So, you know, all successful after that. So that, that's, to me, that's a great faction is one that, you know, comes together, stays a long time. But then when it goes out, all guys go on to, you know, solid careers beyond that. And I, I, I have to say that I, I, I personally think that the nation is probably one of the most underrated factions uh in history uh of, of wrestling because like you said of of the fact that it built built four of them up and they all four were successful even after the faction so yeah i, I think they're very much uh underrated on that yeah there's some there's so many cool ones man you could do a whole show maybe we should that maybe the next king of the cash should be about factions and uh that would be a great idea because there's so many it's hard to just pick one now that I'll know because I mean now they're just all now now they're finally you know something's actually come into my head clearly, uh, and I'm starting to actually think of so many different groups that you know come together and, and uh, make for great TV and for great matches that um, it, it's tough to just pick one uh, for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it is, and you know, for some reason I've I've heard that idea being been thrown around before. Hmm. Has it? <laughs> Have we done that episode already? And I've forgotten. We haven't done that. No. I, I, I think we were, we were talking about that one before. Oh, that's right. We got oh, the, oh, that's, right. that's right. That's what we were going to do before the world decided to shut us all yeah. in our houses. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. World's closed. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Well, hopefully okay. we'll be all together soon and we'll be able to, to, uh, to do that episode because I think that would be a really cool one. Now that you and I have, you know, talked about all of them. <laughs> Hey, hey, if they want the research, just come right here to the cast. That's right. And it's probably about 60% correct. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Rick, I'll, I'll, I'll get you on to, you know, even, even more my, my nostalgia on the number, number four. And this is one that, I, that I, I really thought this one might get you thinking more. But uh, uh, is what in, in, in wrestling, you know, either from the 70s, 80s, 90s, do you wish that they would bring – back in more of into today's wrestling you know you kind of hit a, a little bit of it on on the on the factions and things but what other you know what what things would you love to see kind of come back and uh, that you think would work really well i think that uh to come top of my head comes um the stuff in the on the in the backstage mm -hmm. uh, frustrates me a bit right now um i really liked it when it was more more of an interview type setting I don't like it just randomly happening backstage like it does now. I liked it when it was a set um, mm -hmm. that they went to after a match to have a post-match interview. Um, 
instead of it just being walking through backstage. That was something that I always uh, associated with, you know, it being a little more sport-like. Um, mm-hmm. I liked it when guys came right out of matches and, and immediately had a, a, a real uh, interview to, you know, challenge, to push the storyline along. They didn't have to get attacked. They didn't have to, you know, they could literally both be there and continue the storyline side by side, uh, you know, or even respect each other from the, from the previous match that could lead to another one. Um, I like that a lot. Uh, that's something that I wish they'd bring back. Um, I wish they'd bring back managers. Uh, uh, you know, Selena Vega right now, I think is one that's um, a little more of a classic style manager. Um, and I think that's a really neat storyline. It was, it's quick, uh, to, to take, uh, uh, Austin theory out already from that group. Uh, so that kind of goes back to my sticking with storylines a little bit longer, um, would be one, but, uh, but I do think that's a, you know, one of your more classic style uh, managers right now. And um, I like to see, see more of that as well. Cause it used to be like almost everybody had a manager. Everybody was in a fact, there was a time and especially WWF where it was that way. I don't really want it to be that way, but right. um, I would kind of like to see them use Seth Rollins in that role a bit yes. uh, throughout this process. Um, I'm, you know, I, I think it's neat to him to gather disciples um, and then have, uh, you know, him be the leader in that case. Um, I think that would be really neat for him to kind of play that manager role. Um, that kind of goes back to your old school, you know, managers who are wrestlers, kind of like, you know, there's times Flair was like that and throughout uh, groups. So that's another thing I'd like to see is the use of managers to go back to that, that classic style a little bit more um, as well. Those are some things that kind of pop into my head quickly from the old school style. I don't want to go back to, um, you know, wrestling in a uh, studio. No, 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 no. <laughs> how, about, how, how about, you know, we were talking about matches. How about a good old barbed wire match? You know, we'll get, we'll get that. No. <laughs> no, no, I'm not really, I'm not ready for a good barbed wire match either. Uh, I never understood why they would always try to bounce off the barbed wire like it was ropes. I, right, exactly. <laughs> I would just avoid the barbed wire altogether. If I was in a barbed wire match, I would just, you know, if I could, you know, and if they threw me into it, I guess that's the case. But I always felt like they would like try to use it like ropes. And I was like, I never got that. I would just really try to avoid it. Yeah, you, you have to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, and, you know, like you, you know, I, I wish that they bring, you know, a lot more managers back because I think there, there, there's some, some, some guys out there that, they do struggle when they come in with the talking aspect to try to get themselves over. And if they get a manager, you know, they can kind of help them get over and then they can, then they can separate later on or something like that. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, um, you know so I, I, I do wish that they, that they would bring back managers more. And that's an excellent point with the, with the interviews. I, I didn't, I, I didn't really think about that, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that helps storylines go along because if there's something that happened in, in, in a match, you know, especially, you know, tag team, you know, start a turn or something like that, you know, cause you, get, you can't get that emotion of, Hey, we just came off a win or we, we just lost to someone that we shouldn't have lost to. And it, 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 you really get that, that, that they can play on that raw emotion when they get back to that post match interview. And, you know, it, it can really help that, like you said, help that storyline right along. Definitely. And, and I liked it when the in-ring work and the interview pushed the storyline. And now I feel like it's, more vignettes or more like almost cinematic at times um, to push the storylines. And then when they do do the interviews in the back, I feel like it's always 
either, you know, it, it just doesn't have that same feel that it used to. And that's, you know, that's just, things change. And I know, like I said, it's just nostalgia for me. So, you know, if the new, if a new wrestling fan likes it that way and, and, and that's what's getting people to the, to the shows in, in the future when people are allowed to go to the shows, or that's oh, yeah. just getting people eyes on the, on the product on TV, then that's what, that's what's going to happen. And it can't just always be like it's always been. Um, things evolve and change, but I do feel like, you know, storylines are, are so fast nowadays and, and you could slow them down and, and get more out of them, more episodes out of them and, and bring the people. I don't think people are, have that short of an attention span that you have to put a guy in a group and then have him turn within two episodes. I think it, it can go a little bit longer. I, I completely agree. Completely agree with you, brother. Thanks, Jay, for joining me for four questions. Be sure you're following us on Facebook and Twitter at King of the Cast. If you have any questions, comments, or you'd like to be a guest on King of the Cast, please send me a message on Facebook. I'm Rick, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Four Questions with Jay Marshall. Welcome to the first King of the Cast of 2021. Today's wrestling fans joining me today are the self-proclaimed Memphis wrestling historian, Brother Greg Hereford, half the Backyard Wrestling Tag Team, the Marvelous Marshals, Jason Marshall, and your host, Rick Carr. How y'all fellas been? Doing fabulous. Doing fabulous. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to be back together so that we can talk about things and just kind of reconnect with our fans and uh, reconnect with each other. Well, I hope they haven't forgotten about us, and it is glad for us to get back together. I'm I'm so glad to get back together, guys, and talk a little bit of wrestling. But like so many things in this pandemic era, the format of King of the Cast has changed. After our initial episodes, way back in March of 2020, Kevin Marshall was crowned the King of the Cast, and technically he is still the champ. After lockdown, we released a few episodes of one-on-one shows called Five Questions With, and I'd like to thank everyone who participated in those, including Zach Alibaba and PTW Hall of Famer, Aaron Tiny Rose, and I hope those guys can make it back on the show very soon. Those shows have been playing out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., all the places you can find King of the Cast for the last few months, and the one featuring marvelous Jason Marshall outperformed every other episode. So the people have spoken, and Jason, you are now our current King of the Cast. Well, thank you, Rick. I love being the people's champ because people, I love them, and... (laughs) As long as they love me, I'll just keep that belt as long as I can. Well, with that being said, the 2021 season will start with a series of shows called 30-Minute Time Limit. Now, the Royal Rumble is coming up, and when I think about the Royal Rumble, I can hear the late great announcer Howard Finkel's voice in my head setting up the match. So I'm going to do my best to set up this new format of King of the Cast in the style I kind of feel that uh, Howard Finkel would set it up. So bear with me as I... uh, do my very best, Howard Finkel. The following podcast has a 30-minute time limit. Each participant has prepared five wrestling-related questions. The questions have been shuffled and will be taken at random. The podcast will end when all questions have been asked or when 30 minutes has elapsed. At the end of the podcast, the participants will vote to crown this episode's king of the cast. The 30-minute podcast will begin now. Our first question will come from me. <laughs> and it's actually, it says R1. So I get to ask my very first question in my list. So. This is totally legit. It's totally legit. Okay, all right, I want to know. No, no shoot here, man. Okay. Here, this, is, this, is, this is not a work. This is a shoot, I guess. This is a shoot. It's not right. a work, man. 
Uh, it says, my first question that I came up with here prior to the podcast, by the way, is uh, when I say wrestling referee, who is the first person that pops in your head? Well, mine is Jerry Calhoun, but that's from my childhood at Memphis Wrestling. Okay. Uh, that and that's that that's a very limited that that that's really limited. Um, Jerry Calhoun was the main guy. Also, Paul Morton, Ricky Morton's dad, was another referee for Jerry Jarrett and the Memphis Wrestling in the late seventies and the to the eighties. Um, those are the first two that popped into my head. I'm, I'm actually thinking on that because I can picture him, but I can't. Who's the guy that did was in the Montreal screw? Well, that's just, exactly okay. what I was thinking. Of. Dave and Earl Hebner. That, that's oh, Hebner. Okay, Earl, Earl the, Hebner. The twin brothers, Dave and Earl. I didn't know there were twins. Is who is exactly who pops into my head. Yes. And um, when you talk about great WWF stories, even Andre and Hogan did a, a thing where Dave and Earl were uh, one would uh, kind of be the heel and one would be the face um, referee, and yeah. uh, they would uh, you know. You couldn't tell them apart, and that was a, a really interesting thing. Another interesting thing is that I believe Earl Hebner's son, Brian, I believe he's also a, a um, referee too. So I think it's kind of a Hebner family thing. Um, uh, that one that popped in my mind, uh, wasn't there one that he changed into a wrestler, Danny? Uh, Danny Davis. Davis. Danny Davis. Just Danny, just Danny Davis. Yeah. yeah. Got, got paid off or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, mm. <laughs> How many angles did they use where there was a bad ref? I mean, that wasn't an overused angle. I can think of a few, though. I can think of one from Memphis, the Danny Davis one in the WWF right. with Jimmy Hart. Did, did he sign, did he go with Jimmy Hart and the Hart Foundation or something like that? Something like that. I can remember. Dangerous yeah. Danny Davis. Dangerous Danny Davis, yeah. I remember. Um, lots of different times where refs have been uh, involved in the storyline and I think that's a pretty cool aspect of referee. I also don't think a lot of people realize how much the referee controls what's going on in the match. They're the one who's in contact a lot of times with uh, you know, the producer and, and, and has to kind of get things going along or make, or make changes along the way and how much they have a big part of it. So um, it's really cool to, to think about it. I mean, another one that kind of pops into my head, if, either, if you said, uh, you know, Wrestling referee Charles Robinson's another. Is he one. the blonde haired yeah. guy? Yes, yes. 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 Uh, that he's a he's a famous one. Now in WCW, what was that guy that was like always Ric Flair's guy? Who was the what guy? Was that, that guy that was always tall fella? Yeah, he kind of had the classic look to him. I cannot remember his name. He was. He, I felt like he was always the ref for the big match. It wasn't Nick. Event. Nick Patrick was it? It was Nick Patrick. Nick, because he That's went exactly. Who okay, it was. Nick Patrick. Went all the way back to like Georgia Championship Wrestling in the late, like the late seventies, early eighties when they first got on cable TV. Because when I think of like a championship match, match on WCW, that's who's standing in the ring. Okay, see, I didn't know that he lasted that long until way up into WCW. Wow. I don't think now we know their names as much. Um, I, I don't feel like we do. I don't feel like they announce their names as much. Um, but, What's the lady in AEW, Jay? Audrey, what's her last name? She's good. Uh, she is good. She's a really uh, good... Uh, have you seen the, yes, the female... Yeah. She, she's on the podcast with Tony Schiavone that AEW does. She's very good. Maybe we ought to know yeah. more about the refs. Because like you said, they have a big part in this thing. They do. And it's like, uh, you know, so many times you think... You mentioned the Montreal Screwdriver. I mean, without the ref, that doesn't happen. So, you know, he like, was scared to death. To ever meet 
Brad, I mean, it was he said that on. Uh, I think it was on dark, the, the the Dark Side of the Ring episode. Earl Hebner said he was literally scared to death to meet with Brad again and hope yeah. that it, you know, I mean, so that, that 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 was no joke. That was like he was terrified. Yeah. Well, and him and him and Brett were such such good friends, and Brett never thought that hey. That Earl would, Earl would do, do this to Earl him. had told him that he didn't think anything funny was going to happen yeah. before yeah. the day before, and then, and, and then they approached him to, to be the one to do it. And he didn't have time; he did not have time to tell Brad, yeah. so he so. fails. Yeah, um, I will tell you one Hebner story, and, and unfortunately, I cannot remember if it's if it was Dave or Earl. Okay. Uh, now, my buddy uh, Adam, I might be able to ask him which uh, which Hebner brother it was, but I was in, we were in line together to meet the Big Show, and it was out at uh, Freedom Dodge. Here over in Lexington, and um, we had to stand this big long line, and 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 then up to where he, to get your autograph. And um, I think it was Dave Hebner uh, was at the time. I think he was a road agent, and um, he was there as kind of like security slash kind of making the line go through. Um, I believe it was that time. I, I don't believe it was the time. We also met a Sable out there that's where they'd always have the signing they bring one uh wrestler and have a signing but i think it's when we met the big show and i think it was dave hebner was standing right there and adam points him out to me like hey look this you know dave i think adam was every bit as excited to see dave hebner as he was the big show like because you know he had been a wrestling fan for years and had you know seen the the hebner uh brothers do so much in, in wrestling as the referees so um uh we spoke to him out and in the line on the way through but uh that that was it Anyway, okay, we'll go ahead and draw the next one, and it says J4. So, Jason, you're going to ask your fourth question on your list. Okay, um, but this is kind of, I will, I will go ahead and say this is kind of a two-part question, and uh, there's been some, some of this happening over in AEW right now is the crossover between promotions. You know, we're seeing um, Gallows and Anderson are showing up, you know, from Impact, with the Impact titles, and showing up over on AEW, and vice versa with King Omega going over to Impact. And it leads to the question of, number one, do you like the idea of the crossover? And part two is, do you think the crossover can work? Why or why not? I got some big opinions on this. I think it's one of the best things that has happened to wrestling uh, in the last five years. It's one of the... And for companies organizations out that are not named WWE, I think it's imperative for their survival. It, it, it harkens back a little bit to the territorial days. I hate to get all nostalgic, but one of the real positive things about the territorial days is that you could move talent in and out. There are very few performers that the fans just can't get enough of. You yeah. couldn't take Dusty out of Florida. You couldn't take Lawler out of Memphis. You couldn't take the Von Erics out of Texas. They're like, bring them back, bring them back. Yeah. But besides that, especially heels, you know, you like do a program with some heel, uh, a, a feud, you cap it off, uh, then they go out, go away. But So where do they go nowadays unless you can kind of move talent in and out? So I think if it's done right, I think it benefits everybody. I think Impact will get a boost from Kenny Omega. I think it's kind of cool. And I, I think they need to play it, from what I can tell, they're not playing it like a takeover. Right. Which, you know, I thought that's been done, and it's been done to death. If it's like the NWO thing, which was really genius, but it just got run into the ground. So if it's a legitimate, 
And I, I have read just this past week that AEW or somebody has, um, has filed for Battle of the Belts, uh, uh, the name. And so there, that is implying maybe there's a pay-per-view where different organizations. So, and, and I, I would include this with, with a working relationship with New Japan, with AAA in Mexico. It would be wonderful to see different people. Um, I even read that Triple H had been had said something about you, you know how things are on the internet. He alluded to that they were not that they would not be closed off to thinking about something like that. But of course, they've purchased a few, I think, smaller wrestling groups, maybe as developmental. But I, I, I think it's a great thing. I, I've enjoyed it. It's just drawn me in. I'll be honest. I've you know I am a big WWE watcher uh, versus because for the longevity. But AEW has piqued my interest at times, and to follow you know the major things that go on, and uh, so when the, the signing of Chris Jericho, of course, got me uh, to watch a lot, and then some of his stuff. I, I and, you know I admitted to enjoying Orange Cassidy uh, as a character a lot, um, and so I catch a, I'll record it and catch a lot of it, and the Kenny Omega crossover stuff has really got me paying attention. So I'd say it's it's great for getting the the wrestling fan who does have some nostalgia for the idea of people being able to be cross promotional uh, to check it out. It's it is new and fresh in this in the in this era of wrestling, something we haven't seen in a long long time. Other than the takeover style, which WWE has done many times, they did with ECW, uh, you know, even before they owned ECW or they had their own ECW show. Uh, there was still some connection between Paul Heyman and, and WWE at the time that cre- allowed that to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it still wasn't a takeover style. This isn't, this is legit. Hey, we're almost inviting you to come in to our promotion and we'll go to yours. And that's open and out there. And it's, it's, it kind of fits in with how wrestling is today where the, that, you know, third wall, fourth wall, is uh, yeah, it's broken yeah, down for yeah. It's broken down, and it's just straight up. Hey, I'm going to come over here and wrestle here, and he's going to be here, and he, you know, Kenny Omega is going to be on this show today, and he's going to be on this show, and it's not a surprise. It's the surprise is what is going to happen, not what's that you know what's going to happen with it, not that it's happening, and that's the difference, and that's what's made it really, really intriguing and really feel new and fresh, and in a time where we need new and fresh stuff because man, it's, it's been a rough, a rough year to watch a lot of the product. Um, you know, and then the, and the, they've done some really cool stuff and you have to admit that the Thunderdome is an impressive thing to, to draw fans in. You have to admit that, you know, really AEW getting fans in at first and having you know, using their own wrestlers as fans early on, um, changed the product, got it to be watchable again. I mean, so, and now this, has really gotten to make it, and it's a it's about what's happening in the ring, so much too, you know. And it's you know it's happening in the ring. It's not so much happening in the back. Yeah. Um, now who's that guy that's with him all the time? Don Callis. Oh yeah. Don Why Callis. do I know Don Callis? He was. I had to do some history on this because I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah. He's from Winnipeg. He was. Um, oh my gosh. I, I he was in WWE as a cult leader. Type. His name was. Uh, Hold on, I oh, kind of remember oh, it. Gosh, with like I, Stevie Richards with yes, it. Yes, yes. What was his oh. name? It wasn't the Raven. I know Raven. It oh. was a R. 
Oh, I, the Rev. Uh, I know this too. I now I know where I know him from. That's him. That's okay. him with long hair. Yeah. Okay. That's Don Callis. And then, I don't remember the name he went by. Then the time, he. Oh, man, I, I, now I know. I can see his face. Is this? It was a while ago. Well, I had to do some research yeah. because I watched some interviews with Don Callis. He's very, very intelligent man. And I was like, who is this Don Callis? So I was looking at his history. Um, he also played this role. I don't know if it was when WWE owned ECW, but he was, did ECW have like a contract with like TNN or something for a while? Because he, 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 played, he played this role, whatever network they were on, he was acting like he was a liaison between the network. Really? And he would come out with a clipboard and a mic and say, you know, this is too violent. We're going to cut you off. And the, just get all kinds of heat from the fans, you know. Right. So he's done different things. Uh, oh, this guy. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, um, I cannot think of this guy's name from WWE. Man, it's killing me. Jay, Jay look it up. Some, somebody Jay, look it up, up. and then we'll, we'll come back around to it. Um, yes. But that's where you know him, Rick, from. I'm sure he was okay. a he he had a a, a stable or a uh, faction. For yeah. some reason, I want to say he was. I, I, I see Stevie Richards. He in was my head with, being he was with him. affiliated with him okay. some kind of way. And I see some others that I'm not. I don't know if it was right he had to, dark glasses. I don't know if it was right to censor. No, it was not right, right to, to censor. censor. Okay. It, was it was before a, that. Okay, and he had glasses that would turn dark. I think they turn like a red now, but he had long hair. Now I'm seeing him. Now I can see him in my head. Now, now it's like, I, like I know that damn guy from somewhere. Yeah. I didn't look it up, but uh, him, him and Kenny Omega have been friends for a while. What do you The Jackal? The Jackal. That's, that's it. it. That's, that's it. it. Now, now I see him immediately. That long hair and everything. That's him. That's yeah. Don Callis. The Jackal. Yeah. Look up who the Jackal managed, because I think it's a pretty big uh, group. I want to say maybe Kurgan was in that. The Giant... Kurgan may have been. It was oddities. That's what oddities. It was oddities. That was it. That was it. Kurgan and uh, Golga. Yes. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. He carried Cartman. Yeah. Carried Cartman to the ring. I think Luna was in oddities at one point. Okay. Okay. That's it. Jackal was with him. I want to say that it kind of was a transition. If I can remember it right now, it's all coming back to me. If I can remember it right, I believe there was another group that had Dutch Mantel, maybe as their leader and they were almost military guys and it was Kurgan and a guy named like uh, like Recon or something like that. He had a name like that. And they they would come out with I think it was um, Dutch Mantel as their person and they were like uh, kind of like a military version of a of a stable. And then some reason uh, Dutch Mantel disappears and the jackal shows up and then quickly that whole military thing disappears and Kurgan ends up as an oddity with uh, Golga and Luna, and then the Jackal gets attached to that. If I'm not wrong, I think that's kind of how it happened. Wow. But that would be some really hard yeah, stuff to find even on the network because wow. it's probably on shows like Shotgun Saturday Night or, or things like that. But I used to watch everything. So we're, so we're talking, what, like 92, 93? Yeah, you're Early talking not like even. Probably a little later than that. You're okay. probably talking like 96 to 98 would be okay. my guess. But... Um, I'd have to go look it up on the network and see if I can find it. I missed that the first time. But now I know where I know. Man, he looks a lot different. Yes. But, yeah, I I kept thinking I know this guy from somewhere. 
All right, let's move. You ready to move on to another question? Yeah. yeah. All right, we're good. On. All right, let's mix them up here and see what we get. I hope I took that one out, the last one we did. I got Greg, question two. Okay. Who was wrestling's MVP? And I'm saying most valuable performer. That could be in ring of 2020. In ring, out of ring, whatever. So you're not talking about Montez Porter? <laughs> no, no. Okay. Although if you wanted to make a case for him, I, would I, I think he's had an amazing year. I will be 100% honest with you. He comes back at the Rumble last year. I didn't right? see, I mean, I didn't see him. I, that's a pretty wasn't great he, comeback. I didn't see that coming. Wasn't he a special entrance at the Royal Rumble last year? And I thought it was a one-off. Like, it would just be, come on, and that'd be it. We'd never see him again. They bring him back in. I think it originally was a one-time oh, no. thing. And it, then they bring him back in. Um, Quite a comeback. And now he's the head Quite of the Hurt very, Business, very relevant. And, which has to be one of the best stables of the year, yeah. uh, if not stable of the year in WWE uh, uh -huh. wrestling. Yeah. Um, so I would say MVP had a pretty MVP year in Did 2020 for sure. Anybody, anybody oh. that shaped, I mean, in, to me, I think performer could be anybody that mover or shaker in the wrestling business. I, 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 I go back, I, I think I'm going back to, to, I think I go back to AEW and I've, I've, it's, it's kind of, uh, a group of three, but um, I, I guess I will, I will, I will say Kenny Omega. The main main reason being is he, you know, not only what he does in the ring and things like that, but also with AW getting getting started, he took a back seat, didn't take the title right away. Jericho, you know, let Jericho have the title, let Moxley have the title, and actually went to tag team, you know, with Hangman Adam Page. And said, "I'm gonna put my singles career on hold and let some other people get a push and really kind of elevate it. And so, therefore, I think that that's what makes him most valuable. Is he didn't put himself first; he put everybody else first and let the promotion kind of become the focus rather than himself. And so that's that, that's where I got to put his value on. If I when I first wrote this, if I had written this question after 11 months, I might I would have been inclined to say Cody Rhodes." Because I think he's the most valuable uh, person, most versatile person for in-ring and out-of-ring in the AEW. And I'm a little bit biased because I do follow AEW closer than I do any of the other organizations. But Cody, to me, I think is pound for pound the best, one of the best wrestlers, if not the best wrestler, but his contributions. And I would echo what you said about Kenny Omega. I feel, I feel like he... The Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, they all realized that they wanted to push some of the other talent. So he's kind of taking a back seat. However, I would have to agree with Jason just on the things that we before mentioned with the the last, the December uh, developments with Don Callis and the cross-promotional and really seeing the heel persona of Kenny Omega, which is just pretty, pretty phenomenal. His work in the ring, I always have been in. Not always admire. I guess I started picking up some of this stuff in Japan about about three or four years ago. So I was intrigued by it. And so yeah, I, I think that's been probably one of the bigger 
headlines. I'm, I'm sure. I, I just don't want to leave WWE out, Rick. So, I mean, it, it, I, I need you to speak to, like, who are the MVPs with WWE because they are such a, a big... Well, yeah, you could. If you want to go to the top of the card, you look at Roman Reigns or you look at... Uh, uh, McIntyre had a, had a tremendous year too, but yeah. it really and truly, and, and I, McIntyre is a is a great story in that you know he has a comeback story and um, is a second kind of go around with the, with the organization to be pushed all the way to the top, and especially in such a rough year. I mean, he hits it big right as the pandemic's hitting. He has to have his WrestleMania match in front of no one, um, and then continues to have a great year throughout the year. Um, you know, all the way up to you know he's going to main event you know the Rumble again, but. Uh, you know, and, and very, very well could still be the champion come this WrestleMania. Um, but if I'm going to tell you that in, in MVP was an interesting one just because of being an MVP, and I think he did have a tremendous year, and I think there'd be a really solid argument WWE he may have had the most, you know, rise of a year of anyone. But I'll tell you who it's weird, but it jumps out is Bailey. Um, it was, uh, you know, I don't know how much you know about Bailey, uh, Greg, but um, she's a female wrestler who orig- her original character was um, uh, kind of a happy sweet yes. uh, hug everybody thing she came out to these big bailey buddy things the big uh, did you ever see your engine yes yes with the, the, uh, the big uh, car salesman yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, wavy army you guys you know yeah. um well she made a huge heel turn yes in this year and i don't know if you saw when she made her heel turn and she chopped the bailey buddies down with an axe which was pretty awesome uh way to really show a, a heel turn and then to have uh, them go back to her and um, Sasha being together again, and then back to them turning on each other again, and taking us through that again. So many times when they do that, the same stories over and over, it kind of gets, some people have that issue with WWE, is that they do recycle storylines. It's like this one story never ends. But I feel like this time around, it had a, a, came at a really good time and, and changing Bailey's character. And to see probably the most face character become such a heel and her be able to make that transition, you know, in her, in her interviews and, you know, and stuff like that and do it so well, uh, really showed kind of the, the uh, depth of her ability um, right there. I mean, she's a great in-ring worker and her, she puts on good matches with lots of different people, especially when there's so much going on in the women's division around those two, like people changing, coming, going, character changes, people in tag teams or aren't in tag teams anymore, and so much happening around and them kind of being the steady all the way through. Um, I think she had a tremendous uh, 2020 too. So I went in completely different directions as most, but um, so we want to get all the MVPs out there. Let's uh, go on to another question. Let's see who we get. I'm trying not to look as we do this. I got Greg okay. again for this fifth question. Greg, five. Oh, man, I was hoping we get this one, Ellen. One wrestler not, not currently signed to WWE and or AEW that you would recommend watching or if it were up to you if you were director of talent that you would like to sign one wrestler i've got mine but i'm gonna let you boys well that is a tough one <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, oh, I'm sorry guys yeah. took me out of the independence again well you want me to, to lead off yeah you go ahead and take off i like the one organization that i do try to i keep up with just a little bit is major league wrestling and there's a guy in MLW. There's actually two guys, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with the one that if I had one, it would probably be Jacob Fatu. Um, 
who is of the lineage of the famous Samoan family. And he, I believe, is the MLW champion, or has been, uh, when I was watching. He is a uh, really, really very athletic uh, performer, has some great, great finishing move, um, definitely has the look. Um, he's in a faction there uh, called Contra, which is kind of like almost, they're like trying, they must have been fans of like G.I. Joe, uh, in the 80s, where it's like a Cobra type, an international terrorist organization. They uh, sometimes take their opponents down in body bags. It's, it's quite an interesting uh, thing. He's managed by like a guy of some kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of like a, a leader uh, type of uh, a person with uh, other people around it. But he is definitely the headline. Um, I think Jacob Fatu will find his way onto a main roster very very soon so i i think that's if i had to pick one um mlw um has had some so they they've got a few other wrestlers that i'm keeping my eye on there that i think will 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 make it somewhere but i'll but i'll go with jacob jacob fatu will be my guy caught uh, a show WWE has like you said has purchased up some stuff evolve and, yeah, haven't they yeah they purchased yeah. up some stuff um, which and, gave us Darby Allen so that's uh, good <laughs> I yeah. like evolve then uh, and I was watching something on there the, on the network the other day and it was like a it was it, it caught my eye because it was similar to like a Royal Rumble style idea but it was a tournament um, and it was it was a women's tournament and they had all these different women's wrestlers from all over. Was, I think it was a, might have been from a British promotion. I, I can't remember um, off the top of my head. But there were a, a couple, of, uh, and what, actually one of the wrestlers showed up on, I believe, AEW this past week. Um, the legit so and so. That's her nickname. Did you see it by any chance? I have. I'm, I'm one week this behind. Episode. Did you watch this, episode, this week's episode? Yes. She's okay. kind of a stalky, short. She, she's like four eleven. Yeah. Yes. She, and she fought. Uh, she fought to the one that wears all pink and looks all fancy. Oh, she's getting married to. Um, yeah, uh, the guy. Penelope. Yeah, Penelope, Penelope Ford. Yeah, yes. she she, yes, this, this, she came out and wrestled Penelope Ford this week yeah. on AEW. Did she do? Uh, it was a solid little match, um, especially. I, I don't know a lot about. Uh, the wrestling, the women, especially the women's wrestling in AEW, it's getting better. Uh, but this apparently, learning from what I watched on the WWE Network in that tournament from this other promotion, she was a legit wrestler in the past, like a championship wrestler. That's why they call her the legit, and then her name. And is I, she short? Yeah, yeah. Four, I've four seen 11. her. I've seen her. She yes. wrestled. Uh... She she's originally from like the Ukraine or somewhere. No, I think she's from here, but I think she was wrestling over there. Yes, I've seen her. I think they announced her that she may have been from Moscow, but she had okay. Been, I've seen her. something like that. Something yeah, like she's that. she's a very very. Why can I not? I'm, I'm going to find her name and um, and then so I can say it here on the podcast because I, I feel like uh, I should. But uh, just Jason, if you can, if you've come up with who you want to talk about, so. yeah. I'm like, I, I, I don't know much about the about the independent wrestlers. I, I will admit that somewhere I'm very deficient. But uh, one name that that I do know is um, Alex Zane, who from uh, out of New Japan. Uh, so I mean, there is some rumors around him that he could be, ha- he could be on a developmental contract 
or something like that. But you know, I, I've got some. There's some personal ties there to where the that, that's why I throw throw his name out there to uh, to where the uh, you know have, I have to admit I haven't watched uh, much of the independent circuits, so I really don't know much. But that that's one name that I do know that there is some rumors flying around about. Okay, her name is Layla Hirsch. All right, and she's actually what's funny is I, I just looked up independent wrestlers, and she is the number one independent wrestler to look out for in 2021. There so, you go, but man. I didn't know that when I answered your question. That's I was great. just going on something I great. saw on the network, and I watched her wrestle in a match against uh, two or three matches because she did really well in the tournament. And uh, it, you know, she was a, a really good in-ring performer. I was impressed by, uh, you know, by her by her ring work and wrestling people of variety of sizes versus versus her small stature. But uh, then, I, then I happened to be watching AEW this week to catch the Kenny Omega stuff, and here she walks out. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, I just saw her on this other thing I watched. But um, And then, she, like I said, she wrestled Penelope. It says, just to give a little bit of background on her, she's actually from Hillsboro, New Jersey, um, and where she wrestled uh, in high school from 2013 to 2017. Um, so, you know, she's a legit wrestler. Um, that's her background a little bit. She's been in Japan, uh, all now in AEW, uh, you know, other different places uh, throughout her uh, rising up here as a um, as a newcomer. But that's just one that just kind of weird that I happened to catch twice in a few days by watching some random stuff, and then she shows up as in the top of the list of, of newcomers to watch. But um, impressive. I, I will say I've caught a few different things uh, on the network here and there, and then. Uh, I watched a little bit more of NXT uh, lately, and uh, do you remember the uh, the Ninja Warrior, uh, Katie Catanzaro? Yeah. And she's wrestled for WWE. She was gone for a bit. She's back right now. They had her back in a match. It was in a tag team match in a, t- in a Dusty Rhodes tag team tournament they're doing on NXT right now for the women. And um, she does a finishing move that was insane. I had never seen anything like it. But uh, she comes off the top rope, like all these different spins, lands flat back on the person's stomach, like literally flat back after doing all these flips. And that concludes 30 minutes right there. Time is up. Man, it goes by so fast when you get talking about uh, wrestling. Um, But uh, uh, that's our 30-minute time limit, so the match is over. Uh, right now, what we're going to do is we're going to try to figure out, based on what we have heard, just between us, we're not throwing it out there to the internet now, and when waiting, we're just going to do it right here, right now, and uh, each of us go around and kind of say who they thought uh, had the best questions and the best answers. I'm going to throw it right out there. I thought I was the best. Heel <laughs> <laughs> boo. Not enough a body of work to decide. This is not enough body of work to decide. Uh, anybody feel like a question? I feel like Greg. I feel like your your questions challenged me the most to really think outside oh, I, of the box. I gotta say, I even, I even had, to, had to go into research real quick. <laughs> I had to come up with, with answers. Sorry yeah, about the, the non AW. Uh, but you know, there are other like I, um some of the some of the other wrestling groups are not considered independent, right? Like. Impact and uh, uh, MLW and New Japan. There are some other AAA, AAA, AAA. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, what? Well, I guess you. I guess 
Ring of Honor and NWA? Or Ring of Honor. Yeah, yeah, Ring of Honor is another one that's uh-huh. had, had some. And NWA. Uh-huh. NWA yeah. back. So. NWA kind of has a working partnership, too, with AEW, apparently, because yeah. the NWA women's champ has tried to, you know, because the AEW, you know, when Britt Baker and uh, uh, Chris Statlander went down there, they were thinned out on the women's yeah. roster with bad. Yeah. So they had to, they had to help. So I don't know. Sorry about the curveball with that. Now, that was what made it, that's what made it the best. So that's yeah. why Jason and I have already decided that, that uh, Mr. Yeah. The brother Greg Hereford, you are now our current I KOTC champion. I'm going to be like Jimmy Hart. This is the greatest day of my life, Lance Russell. <laughs> that's what that, that's what Jimmy Hart always said on his on his interviews with Lance. This is the greatest day of my life. He's getting ready to bring in somebody. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. And be sure to give us your feedback on Facebook and Twitter at King of the Cast. And until next time, be safe, be responsible. And remember, never try spitting green mist at home. Right? It is Gary Hart's birthday today, so happy birthday, Gary Hart, manager of the great Kabuki, the green mist. Yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday.